freaking auto! This, this is Brock and Salk. I don't read the internet, guys. Presented by Carter, Volkswagen, and Ballard. Take the bull by the hands. On Seattle Sports. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. And Brooke Wire, you are. And Brooke, you are. Now here are your hosts, Brock Heward and Mike Salk. What a great sports day yesterday. Seahawks working out their mandatory minicamp. Everybody was there, present, accounted for. That was great news. The live PGA merger slash acquisition, because it seems to be a whole lot more of the latter than the former. Fascinating sports story. We'll dig back into that a little bit later at 730. We'll talk to Andre Gonzalez. Used to play in the PGA Tours from Olympia. Now he does uh, golf commentary work. See the long haired kid? Did he have the, the, the long hair out of the back of the hat, Justin? Did he have some? He had some style to him. He definitely some has some some style for yeah. sure. Yes. Yeah. So he will. Uh, he'll join us at seven thirty. He works for SiriusXM now, doing uh, uh, golf stuff. And uh, in the middle of all of it, Brock, you had the Mariners last night actually look like a real baseball team for the first time in forever. That was again, it's only one win. You get to string together like twenty more of those. Yep. But that was kind of what they're supposed to look like. They only scored four runs. But they did it their way, and it looked good. Yeah, I mean that's their that's their brand of baseball, right? When they play their brand of baseball, when they pitch extraordinarily well, oh gosh, how nice was it to see Munoz come out of that Ugh. bullpen and hit triple digits and look comfortable? You you just don't you you don't make those mistakes on the base pass. You don't make errors, self inflicted errors. Those things uh, you put together some good at bats. I think Scott Service made a point to to highlight J.P. Crawford after the game and, and talk about that at bat, both the opening at bat, the O2 at bat to come all the way and get the walk. I, I mean, think those... he saw thirty five pitches last night or something. <laughs> Seriously, crazy. I think he saw thirty five yes. pitches. Yes. J.P. Crawford in the fourth innings out an O2 count. He somehow works a walk. After that, it forced the pitcher to throw 17 more pitches, and now the starter's out of the game in the fifth inning. Those little things like that that maybe not show up in a box score is a big deal, change the game. So if I have that right, if he saw 35 pitches in the game and then added another 17, I mean, he's responsible for over 50 pitches being thrown in that game. That's a huge, huge deal. Uh, a big deal. And, you know, with their team composed the way they are offensively right now, I mean, you these are have-tos. These aren't want-tos. These are have-tos. JP has to do that. Mm-hmm. It has to do the, the little things. And when you get a chance to deliver and, and score a run early in the game and just, you know, play a little small ball to do it, you got to do it. And then obviously your stars got to be stars. And, and Julio, I mean, showed with a 435 Dude, foot blast. That was. <laughs> that carried. You know yeah. what? It's so funny. The two home runs they hit last night, right? Julio's just a hanging curveball at the top of the zone that he just pummeled. I mean, that's what you do with that pitch. And when you're Julio Rodriguez, that was great. That was the longer and better looking home run. The yeah. tail home run, though, may have actually been more impressive and in some ways more important because it came on a curveball. He went down and got it, and he still crushed it. Here's the 3-2. Swung on. Blasted. Center field. Driven deep. Tatis back looking up. It is gone. Into the Padres bullpen to Oscar Hernandez. And that was still 420 feet. Like, that Correct. was not a cheapo. He did speak afterwards, Brock, and he uh, answered your question about the strikeout problems. I mean, uh, I get a lot of strikeouts. I, mean, I think I'm leading the lead in strikeouts, but... Uh, I don't like to think about it. Uh, I know in my swing, I got a, a lot of strikeouts in my game. So I uh, just try to minimize that and, and try to keep going and just get good at basketball for, for the team. Well, he knows himself. Um, so that, that, that's good. I mean, seriously, that's good. You know yourself. I know I got a lot of strikeouts in my swing. 
But then you've got to have the other side of it, mm-hmm. and that we have not seen enough of, right? 60 games in, that's his 10th home run. He's a guy that you've got to those strikeouts, and you've got to give me the other side, right? You've got to give me the power. You've got to give me the home runs. You've got to give me 30-plus home runs. And I, I will say this is, is just angry, frustrated, everything, as all of us were Monday, uh, maybe me the most of the list of the four of us. He's the one that I'm not giving up on yet. He's the one that when I look at AJ Pollock, I look at Colton Wong, obviously Lestella's already when I look at those offseason additions, he's the one that I look at and say, there there is still thirty home run, right. hundred RBI opportunity. Well, and because because it has to work. I mean, those other because guys. He's a little have, like Nelly, he's a little like Nelly Cruz. Right? He's gonna have a month where it's not gonna be good. Mm-hmm. And then he's gonna have a couple weeks where the ball looks like a beach ball, and he's gonna go and hit four, five, six home runs and hopefully carry you to what you just said there, stringing together a bunch of wins. I, I that is I, I think that that is still in him this season. Yeah. I really do. If I certainly if I have to hedge my bet with him or Pollock or or Wong in the turnaround. I'm going to put my money on how, him. How much better did it feel just to see the team look like that, even if it was for one game against San Diego? Because I'm, I'm going to tell you, that's not enough. I am not walking into the building nope. today and saying, like, all right, Mariners are back. They're on a roll. I mean, like, that's one game, and Logan was great, and they still only scored four runs. So I, I can't get to that point yet. But it certainly at least is a reminder that even when things feel like they've reached the end, they probably haven't. And Manny Acta was on yesterday with Bump and Stacy saying basically exactly that. We have a good group, man. And uh, uh, to put it in perspective, it, it does look um, like it's the end of the world, but it, it isn't. Uh, we had a, a rough three games over there in Texas, but we were coming for winning seven out of ten games. Uh, the, the thing is that obviously you want to, cut down the lead that they have on us right now and playing them uh, would help. But uh, we just got to put that behind it and start a, a new week here in, the, in San Diego. Essentially, yeah, it feels like the end of the world, but it's not. Nope. It's not the end of the world yet. But, man, you're, you, you've sort of drifted off near the edge of the world. <laughs> well, you're 10 back with 102 to go. Yeah. And, and the math, as Ryan Divish told us yesterday, and said to Scott Service, doesn't favor you. You've been blown off course. Now... Again, that's the focus on the division. That's not the right. only way for this team to succeed. Obviously, that was the goal this year in a way mm-hmm. that, that it was not necessarily a year ago, right? I think a year ago, you sort of still knew that Houston was the big dog in the division. You probably weren't going to get past them. And so a wild card was enough. This year, the goal was absolutely to win the division. And right now, you may have cost yourself that opportunity. I'm not saying it's 100%, but you get outside of 10 games, it's a challenge. But you're not toast in the wild card. Far from it. I mean, you go on a good week or two, and you're right there in the mix of the whole wild card. Yep. But you got to do it your way. You've got to play the game uh-huh. your way. And they played it on their terms last night. And that's what they're going to have to do until they make additions. And, and I don't know, frankly, if one bat is going to be enough for this offense. I don't know. I mean, we'll, well, not we'll, we'll unless, see. Not unless the guys in currently here actually do what they're supposed to do. And Well, yes. And can they do it collectively? Right? Can, can the can the group do it collectively? They've not. There've been individuals. Julio went on a, that seven and three homestand. Was Julio? Mm-hmm. He was unbelievable. He had nearly five hundred. Right? We've seen Jared Kelnick on road trips play very very well. We've we've seen individuals do it, but collectively, can those guys do it and then add a bat? Then you're talking wild card. Ten games back in the division.
we may be talking 95, right? I mean, it may take that kind of, and Texas is going to have to have to fall back, which they just don't do. Won again last night, won again another series. I mean, they just continue to pile together these wins and find themselves 10, 15, 20 games above 500, and now you're back at level and got to do something about it here with San Diego today and then in Anaheim, obviously, over the weekend. It's a small thing, but you know what was really great yesterday? You mentioned it already. It was just seeing Andres Munoz gas dude I, I mean i don't think that their problems this year stem from the fact that he was gone nope. if he had been perfectly healthy this year is that a one game difference maybe like i don't think that i don't think that's been a major concern just based on how great the bullpen's been but just from a fan perspective just watching the guy dude he is so fun to watch like i was glued to the tv just just because i kind of missed him just seeing him out there doing you know, his it's thing so- it's so fascinating, right? Titus is really into these mechanics things. Uh-huh. And Tom House, you know, the old pitching coach, and Nolan Ryan. Have you seen uh, the Nolan Ryan documentary, by the way? No. I know you were. Yeah, it's good, man. You should. Uh, it's I don't really from do a baseball perspective. Much, but okay. Uh, okay. Yeah. You don't do sadness. You don't do documentaries. Right. But, uh, <laughs> I don't really do nonfiction. Watch but the Tom Red, House, Reggie Jackson one for me, bro. Yeah. 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 I think the 30 for 30, Reggie? No, I think it's on that one? Netflix or Prime right now. I think oh, is it? Okay. Oh, it's just called Reggie. Okay, yeah, I'm going to check that one out too. But Tom House, a big believer in speed, speed and stride length, speed and stride length, right? That, and it's Matt Brash. I mean, Tom House is Matt Brash. It is just speed. And then you see Munoz just do it a little bit differently. He is just power. Mm-hmm. I mean, it is just, you can feel, you know, that power coming up off the ground and then just ease of 100 plus. Yeah, and you're right. We kind of forgot how fun that is to watch. Just that fun factor that he brings with every slider and everything that goes with it. That was uh, that was a highlight for me last night. Nice to see them sort of get back on track, and maybe they're able to keep that going now moving forward. We'll wait and see. All right, coming up, Brock. uh, We do have everything you need to know, including the Seahawks back out of practice, and yes. The story that I think is as interesting as anything I've ever I think it's fascinating what we saw yesterday, and I'm not sure it's what it was initially believed to be. It's next in Everything You Need to Know on Brock and Salk. Need to know. 15 minutes past every hour with Brock and Salk. Here's what you need to know. Up first. Most complete game the Mariners have played in weeks, finally. And they're going to need to put a whole bunch of those together. But it was nice to see that they're at least capable of it. No, oh, by the way, Julio Rodriguez had a highlight moment. Oh, Julio to lead off the inning with a swing and a drive. Deep to left field. Back she goes. And goodbye, baseball. Upper deck over the line score in left field. Julio Rodriguez with... His 11th home run of the season. It was a blast. A high five from Manny around third. And it's now the Mariners three. And the Padres one. Holy smokes. What a blast off the bat of Julio. That was gone before he even hit it. Yes. It was just a terrible pitch, and Julio did exactly what a player like him should do with it. Uh, that was great, and good to see the offense kind of come to life a little, but even better, Logan Gilbert, after a terrible start the last time, yep. bounced back in a big, big way. Awesome outing. Uh, you know, was on top of them all night long, and I think the, the thing that we've been talking to Logan a little bit about is, you know, game awareness, knowing where you're at. And I thought his execution of pitches in that seventh inning were maybe as good as they were all night long, knowing that you're kind of at the uh, the end of the game, empty the tank, but you keep executing pitch by pitch. It was awesome to see. And He was really good. Yeah, just what, four hits allowed as a, as a staff. He just gives up a couple of them, and I loved his efficiency. I love getting through seven innings. 
right? You know, I, and I know the conversation coming into this year with he and George is, hey, still like to have him a little bit protected and still like to, I don't know, man, George, George and Logan are showing, especially with their command. And Logan is not matching George's command pitch for pitch, but compared to where he's been in that pitch efficiency and getting through, what, eight innings, three starts ago, seven innings last night, mm-hmm. that's a big deal. Big deal. As talented as your bullpen is, if you don't have to overuse them, yep. it's going to give you an opportunity over the next 102. Well, all kinds of injury news. Uh, Andres Munoz, as we've mentioned, did return as did Dylan Moore. Munoz takes the spot, though, of Trevor Gott. He's pitched really well, but he's going to need a couple weeks on the IL. Sam Haggerty heads back to Tacoma to make room for more. He has not gotten off to a good start this year. Marco Gonzalez going to need about a month to get back from a flexor strain in his left forearm. Good news, he's not going to require Tommy John, at least not right now. There doesn't seem to be any connection right now to the UCL, the elbow, but that's a long month and uh, right now Brian Wu is going to be the guy who remains in the rotation. They'll get back to it today. Matinee baseball, just a quick two-game set in San Diego and then they head up to Anaheim. George Kirby, Michael Walker this afternoon. Here's the second thing you need to know. Day one, mandatory mini camps. Uh, Brock, the best news? No news. There really was no news yesterday. It was good to see Alton Robinson and Mario Edwards, Jordan Brooks, Jamal Adams all there. As for Jamal, Brock, I think you'll like this from Quandre Diggs. I mean, this week is dope, you feel me? Because now everybody's here, you know what I mean? Oh. And oh, everybody's fine. running their fine. own race, you know what I mean? So I know what's, what Maul and JB are going through, you know, with injuries and rehab and stuff like that. So. You know, I talked to those guys, and, you know, having them all back, it's been awesome. You know what I mean? Um, you guys know you guys know our relationship is different when 33 is out there. And uh, it's just energy, uh, a contagious, you know, thing that he brings. And it's one of those things that I can't wait to – he's back out there, like, playing, playing, because it's going to be fun. You know, I know he has big goals, which he should. I rest my case, Your Honor. Oh, you think it's better when everyone's there? You think it's better? He knows everybody's on their own journey. Yeah, everyone's on their own journey, but it sure is better when everybody's there. They don't have to be there the whole freaking offseason, but maybe a little more than three days with your buddies because it sure picks the energy up of everybody around you. I rest my case. Here's the third thing you need to know. All right, yesterday the news came out while we were on the air that the PGA had merged with Live Golf. Over the course of the day, as details came out, Brock, I don't think that's a fair characterization. I think what happened is that the PGA was purchased by the Saudi investment fund. There's a definite greed factor here and a belief that the PGA chose money over over morality, and we heard some of that yesterday from everybody, including Brandel Chambly. Uh, after the shock sort of ebbed away, I was hugely disappointed. I think this is one of the saddest days in the history of professional golf. Uh, I do believe that the governing bodies, the entities, the professional entities have sacrificed their principles for profit. There is an element of that. They did. I, I think greed fa- factored in here. I also am not entirely sure they had a choice. I think this was a bit of a double cross, Brock, yeah. but also a hostile takeover of sorts. Maybe not the you know traditional definition, but between their vulnerability into litigation, their vulnerability in discovery, their financial vulnerability, which everybody is going to have compared to the fund. I think they caved because they didn't see a way out. And while they absolutely should not have PR-wise a year ago gone all in on the Saudis for the evil and the blood money and all that, because now they look ridiculous. They should have known from the beginning that this was eventually going to happen. 
Pretty wild, by the way, a little breaking news in the sports world that isn't as impactful to you and I, but is to the soccer fans. Messi is coming to the MLS. Uh, Speculation is going to be FC Barcelona or the MLS team down in Miami. And speaking of a payday and what that ownership group in the MLS, who there's conversations that he's getting royalties to streaming rights to come to America. So this isn't Messi of 10 years ago. No. But it is still Messi to the MLS. So... Yeah, we have a PGA and a Live that have uh, that have combined yesterday. We have Lionel Messi coming to the MLS. Quite a sports world. Hey, I, question for you. That's everything you need to know. Yeah. Because I know you spent uh, a lot of hours yesterday reading. I did. Reading, <laughs> watching, thinking, talking to Listening. friends. Yep. Yeah. Do you remember the scene? I believe the movie was Cinderella Man. Do you remember the boxing movie? You never saw that movie? No. Justin Moore, did you guys ever see that? Russell Crowe? Great movie. Through the Depression. I remember it, but I didn't see it. Awesome, awesome movie. No. And there's a scene in it, and uh, his manager, gosh, and and I should know the name. He's he's a famous actor. Paul Giamatti. There you go. Paul Giamatti. Right? He's his manager, and he's taken this, you know, this Depression boxer, and he's made him everything, and... And Russell Crowe and his wife are so upset because they're just broke. They've got nothing. And Paul's got still his his penthouse condo right in the city. And they go and bang on his door, right? And Paul's like, don't, uh, please go away. And they finally open the door. And his condo is empty. It's nothing. He's got nothing. He's just a shell of himself. Mm. And I wonder, is that what the PGA was really behind the scenes? I don't know whether it's that. No, I don't think so. I mean, I think there's probably a little of that, Brock, but I, I don't know if it's just that. I think it just everybody in comparison to the Saudi money doesn't have enough to measure up. And when you've got some, I think there were some issues that in discovery, right? So if they had had to go through the whole litigation process, I think some of their monopolistic tendencies Mm -hmm. may have come out, which would have been a problem. They've been investigated by the Department of Justice before. Especially with their 501c3 status. Right. So I think that was probably an issue for them, as I'm guessing it would be for every other league. And unlike most leagues who say, ah, we we can just wait them out. Oh, you know, we got the money. Oh, we we can just play. You can't do that with the Saudis. They got more money than you do. And 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 so I think there's some of that. Financially, they weren't going to be able to compete so it's almost like i said earlier it's like seizing sieging a castle where you're just like man we just wait you out because we got more money more resources more food more everything and i know that right now i think it's a great analogy you make with the movie that makes sense but i think compared to the saudi fund and that money the same is going to be true of any league any league is not going to be able to withstand it none of these guys want what's coming in there you know it would come in discovery in the lawsuits that would come out of it so if the saudis decide to turn their eye elsewhere i don't know what happens I, I, man the, the depths of this is fascinating we'll get into it at eight o'clock and I'll, I'll, i'm gonna name two names brock that you've never heard of but oh. when when i tell you who they are you'll like kind of smack yourself in the head be like i can't believe this before we do it though andres gonzalez is going to join us next local kid made it to the pga tour talks about this for a living he'll join us coming up on brock and salk this this is Brock and Saul. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. Back in mornings from 6 to 10. On Seattle Sports and the Seattle Sports app. Earth-shattering news in the world of sports yesterday as the Saudi Investment Fund essentially purchased the PGA Tour. I mean, we can say that they merged, Brock, but they were purchased. That's how this went yesterday, and we'll dig into it uh, deeply 
I think a little bit more at eight o'clock, but right now I want to bring in Andre Gonzalez, local guy, Olympia guy, made it to the PGA tour and uh, now is covering the sport as well. And if I'm not mistaken, currently on the course right now up in Toronto before the RBC this weekend, walking the course and getting ready to cover it. Andre, thanks for taking a few minutes with us. We appreciate it. Yeah, no problem, guys. Thank you for having me. What was yesterday like? I mean, you know, first of all, everybody finds out the news. You're around and you know a lot of the players, et cetera. What was the scene like? Well, it all started for me. I was still back in Lakewood, Washington, and I was hanging out with my kids, and they were all in bed with me just getting ready to start getting their day ready for school. And one of my producers from SiriusXM called me up and was like, can you believe that this is happening? And I was like, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> and he, he, he informed me, and I, I thought he was joking with me. But I got online and I found out just like everybody else. And as far as when I flew in last night, there was just kind of chaos. A lot of people feel like they've lost trust in the PGA Tour. And like none of the players were really informed. They found out the same way that we all did, which when you hear Jay Monahan talk about it's the player's tour, it sure didn't seem like that. But, yeah, it's, it's an interesting situation right now in golf. So, Andre, you are obviously so much more informed than Salk and I. I mean, now, he's an avid watcher of golf. I mean, a, a, a very avid watcher and player, Salk is. I don't but, you, it, yeah. but you are on the inside. You are informed. You are, you are a former player that covers this game and, and you know, is covering a tournament this weekend. How blindsided were you when that news came? I think so. As far as the rhetoric that went on with the PGA Tour saying that they'd never align with the – Saudi or the public investment fund, it, it just seemed weird that it, it was a 180 degree turn. For me, I, I feel like you got to kind of read between the lines with everything that's been going on for the PGA Tour since, let's say, COVID. I would have to believe that the tour is just leaking money. They're running under a 501c6, which is a nonprofit. So they just had to dip into their reserves. And I would assume over the last three years that they've just been a sieve of money. And as far as the litigation that was going on, the the Saudi backed fund has so much money that they can sit here and make everything last as far as litigation goes. And they have the ability to buy out the PGA tour or even just crush the PGA tour. So I think that originally when Liv came out, I thought it was a bit of a hostile takeover. And I think that we're finally starting to see that. The tour just realized that they weren't going to have enough money to keep on going. So if you can't beat them, you, you join them in the old adage. Well, that's exactly what I think this is. And, and, and as this goes longer, I wonder whether Jay Monahan, not that he'll be vindicated, but that there will be folks that eventually start to understand that. I'm not sure he had a choice. And I, I was just reading about this yesterday. It sounds like the two other guys that were most active. I wonder if you know who they are. Is this Ed Herlihy and Jimmy Dunn, who were both on the uh, PGA Tour policy board. Are they recognizable figures for those people in the game? Uh, as far as players, no. But they're behind the scenes. They're on the policy board. They are in the, the big corporate board that makes all the decisions for the tour. Uh, I I think that with other CEOs of companies that are on the board, they had to just sit back and realize that this wasn't sustainable to keep on going. Half the funds were kind of depleted during COVID. And then 
with the live tour coming around, they started bumping up purses. And I think that they were going to lose sponsors. I think a lot of people said, yes, they were on board and would invest more money. But I think that there were a number of companies that were sponsoring tournaments that didn't want to invest any more money, or at least the amount that it was. And I don't know how much of that is knowing that the Saudi investment fund just had endless money and they weren't going to be able to keep up in the long run, or if it was just a better business move to make it good for the entire world of golf. It's tough to really say as of right now, it's very, very weird, but in the end to take any positives away, it's definitely going to move into having the best players play week in and week out, which is good for golf. It's good for fans and we'll see how everything goes, but I know that a lot of players feel like they were stabbed in the back, especially the guys that turned down all that money and were kind of pointed that direction by the PGA Tour to turn down money to leave. Mm -hmm. As you cover the RBC Open up there in Canada this week with the players, if you were to take the pulse of 100 of them, and I know it's very early in the week and they're all just still probably uh, assembling and, and getting ready to go there, but if you were to take that pulse, what do you expect their reaction just collectively will be? Uh, as far as everybody that I've talked to so far, one, everybody's in shock just because the verbiage of the tour was, you know, staying strong to moral values and to legacy. And when nobody's consulted and Jay Monahan goes seemingly behind everybody's back, although I don't, I don't know, maybe that was the best interest for the PGA tour as a business was to not involve the players. But uh, I know a lot of the players feel hurt, shocked, and a little stabbed in the back. But I mean, it's, it's, it's all because it's very new. We'll see how everything goes. The only thing that makes me uh, a little bit nervous and skeptical is that the PGA tour is still, or Jay Monahan is the commissioner and they have this investment, but in the end, the reason that they went to it is because there had to be a, a lack of money. And if they are throwing, if the uh, public investment fund and, or the live tour is throwing in all this money and they aren't going to have, it's, it's in the paperwork. It says a minority share. I don't care who you are. If you're the one throwing in money, typically the investor is always going to have the last say. So that's mm -hmm. going to be something I think we need to look at in the future. Uh, talking to Andre Gonzalez here about the, the earth shattering news yesterday in the golf world. You know, it's, it's interesting just from a golf fan perspective, what happens now? They said there's going to be some level of incorporation of some of the live rules, et cetera, into, into golf in some way. Do you foresee it as, you know, players going back and forth and playing on multiple tours? Do you see team competition in some way coming to golf in general? Like what? What the heck is going to happen next? And, I mean, that's what it sounds like. There's going to be some kind of team competition that is wanting to be incorporated, but I don't think anybody knows. I think that they've just kind of created this for-profit business, and now we're going to now they got to go through all the actual crossing the the T's and dotting the I's and trying to figure out what it's going to look like when they sit down and do that. It's going to be interesting to see if there's going to be championship golf or team golf or how it goes. I, I'm really not sure. I don't think anybody is at this moment. One thing that I do think would be kind of interesting. I'm not for team golf, but I heard this mentioned yesterday and thought it was at least an interesting idea is sort of following the F1 model where the 
the manufacturers essentially compete against each other as teams, TaylorMade and Callaway and Ping, et cetera. That'd be kind of interesting. It would be. It'd be different. Uh, I'm not really a fan of the team golf either. I've mm. I've watched some of the live yes, tournaments, and it's <laughs> it's hard for me to watch, mainly because it, it's weird that a, a winner can win on like the fourth hole. Yeah, so and you'd, you'd it, have there's to no, do like, it. Real build up. You'd have to do it more the way they do in F1, where it's a over the course of a season, you're keeping track of your manufacturer points or something like that. That doesn't sound terrible. I can get into that. It's such an independent contractor sport. It just is. Mm. Yeah, and to to group those individuals, I don't know. Here's what I really want to know: Are you rocking the Fu Manchu still? You still you still doing that? Oh, I I still I've still got on the face, man, since '05. Oh, I love that. Uh, and and then Olympia boy, what was your home course growing up? I grew up at Indian Summer, but now I live up in Lakewood and I play out at Tacoma Country and Golf Club. Mm. Oh, interesting. I've played okay. that Olympia. What is it? Olympia, the Olympia Golf Club down there, whatever it's called. Golf and yeah, Country Olympia Club. Olympia Country Club down there. It's got that crazy yeah, first hole that goes Country and Golf Club. It goes straight, straight uphill. Up hill. Yeah, what is that? <laughs> That was our that was our home high school track for Capital High School, and that was the biggest home course advantage course on the planet. We never <laughs> lost a match there in four years. I love it. Hey, one last question for me, okay? Because this 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 story, I still am having a hard one to absorb. So let's just have a little fun. If uh, if Salt got to go- golf with you, and he is, he's an avid golfer. He's been totally bit by the I mean, bug. I enjoy and he loves golfing. It. Let's not call myself an avid. I've got you're like a avid. You're no, you're. He's a two point five. Don't that. let him fool you. He's an amazing player. Stop it. Okay. If if you could take him to play one course in the state of Washington, just the two of you, it, it, yep. the course that you just adore and love the most, and I know your home course, Tacoma Country Club, amazing course, awesome. Take that one out. Where are you taking him? Probably Aldera up the uh, oh, just outside so I can of shoot that place. Is, yeah, thanks. I appreciate yeah, that. That's, that's exactly. I'm going to take him someplace where he can't compete, and I can get in that wallet of his. <laughs> I wish there was more in that wallet. Uh, last thing, then, and, and just from a Seattle perspective, is there any possibility this opens a door as tournaments change around, and maybe there's more or different, et cetera, that we could finally get some sort of a regular tour event here in Seattle as a result of this all happening? Yeah, I, I think so. I, just as far as money involved, that's really what it comes down to is money. But then the next problem is is who wants to give up their course and what kind of course these days can handle the length of what players are hitting it. There aren't that many up there. Um, chambers. You know, yeah, you, you, yeah. You have you have Chambers Bay, and you know the only reason that there hasn't been more stuff there is that the U.S. Open in fifteen they just had a rough time with the greens and. Now that they're all fixed, I think that'd be a great place to do it. Um, the only complaint I have about that is that it doesn't really represent Northwest golf. It's a total right. wind style course on the water. I like trees. I like where we live. I, I, I love representing where we live. And, you know, as far as chambers, it's, it's a link style course that is in the great Northwest. It's beautiful. And that's the only place I really think that could really handle yeah. a big time event. Interesting. It is a pretty great course, though. It's pretty fun. Sure is. <laughs> it's pretty fun. I'm and Andre, you're pretty great too. Yeah, even this as is a capital great. Thanks guy. for doing great this. Guy. We really appreciate it. This is uh, it's a fascinating story, and uh, and great to hear your perspective on it. Thanks so much. Hey, thank you guys. Have a good day. All right, there you go. There's Andre Gonzalez, uh, who played on the tour and uh, local guy, as you heard him say, from Olympia, yep. Capital High. You know, you have made that point many times about bringing a, a, a tournament back, and it's interesting. It's just so simple. Yet, I don't think we've ever discussed it. Like, sorry. 
So, so Holly, I mean, amazing course. You're not long enough. Well, we've talked about that. The, the length of it? Yeah. I don't know. I don't know necessarily if we have, we but, have, but, yes. but there are very few courses, as he just said, that can handle mm-hmm. the firepower of these guys today. Yeah. And, and I actually, the only thing I would disagree on in as much as I love Chambers, I think the, the only problem they've had there, yes, the greens were screwy and all that. It's just, it's a tough, it, it's not set up perfectly for spectators. No. But it's good enough. I mean, like, yeah. all right, so that's not like it's perfect. That's not its best feature. Right. They found a way to make it work for the U.S. Open. Something tells me they could make it work for a regular September event. Yeah. It would be just fine. So I'm sure it'll happen eventually. I just uh, don't know. Maybe this will be an opportunity with just some disruption in the market for that to occur. So what did you say? 130 you chewed it all there with him from the tips? I mean, I don't even know. From the tips? <laughs> Well, he's going to play from the tips. He's got a heat. He's a pro player. I'm not going to play from the tips. I'm he's got to play from the tips. I might shoot a 130 with my handicap Do from the tips. Do you think you could break 200 from the tips playing with him? Strict rules of golf? <laughs> Strict rules of golf. Probably not. <laughs> Probably not. Plus the intimidation factor? Correct. Yeah, no, I don't know that I could break 200. Yeah, that, that might actually be a... Be like, hey, dude, I shot 100, and then I got to, you know, play the back nine, unfortunately. Let's do some Blue 88. This is Brock and Salk's Blue 88. Blue 88! Blue 88! We take you to the field as Brock Ewer breaks down three football questions as only he can. Now here's your hosts, Brock Ewer and Mike Salk. All right, question number one for you, Brock. Uh, Tyler Lockett spoke after the practice yesterday. I found this very interesting. He was asked about the biggest thing the offense could do to improve. Here was his answer. The biggest thing that we could be way better at that will help us out is just the screen game. Um, I think we were last in the screen game. I, I also see you tweet a lot <laughs> about us in the screen game, screen game, how we're in last place. So um, I think if we can be able to get that down to at least 20, it does wonders. You know, like the biggest thing is for us just knowing um, how to be able to be better at it, how to know, you know, how to catch it, how to be able to get upfield, trusting that the line is going to be there, everybody being able to do their part. And I think if we can get better at that, then it makes the offensive game better. It makes the run game better, the explosive game better, the short game better. But if we don't have the screen game, then we're kind of become limited. Can that's they make the screen man. game better? Yeah, that's good news. I mean, honestly, if, if that's the component of your offense that you need to refine and fine-tune, I think you can do it. A screen game is like an amazing changeup for a pitcher in baseball. It's like Logan Gilbert's splitter. It's these guys that continue to work and manipulate. It's not their fastball. It's not their go-to. But, man, is it effective if you can get it going. And it's not just your running back screen game. It's your receiver screen game. It's your tight end screen game. Noah Fan, Parkinson, those guys all more than capable. And it should improve with continuity. I mean, some of the best screen teams, if you think of them, right off the top of your head, best screen teams over uh, over your lifetime, over the last few years, who comes to your mind? I mean, certainly the Rams over the last few years have been great at it. Um, Patriots in the early years with Brady, he was yep. really great the at it. Patriots, the Chiefs, the Chiefs, the teams that have continuity, that have a quarterback, that have a system, that have a play caller, right? And it, Again, a baseball analogy, just like you know, pitch sequencing. You've got to have continuity to be able to do that. You've got to have trust to be able to do that. And now third year in the system with Shane Waldron, for many of these guys, including the most important guy, your quarterback, that screen game should improve and could be a very good changeup. All right, question number two. Speaking of wide receivers, D. Eskridge had a uh, catch for a touchdown yesterday. Does he have a chance to actually take the next step this year? 
Yeah, the two best things that I've heard about D. Eskridge, I know Tyler talked about him. It was Tyler yesterday after practice, uh, one of the two players speaking and, and spoke and gave him rave reviews. But even I think more important than Tyler, because most of the time your peers are going to say nice things about you. I think the biggest nugget was the fact that Gino this offseason flew to CD that went to him in Texas. It was like, yeah, we're going to work. It was the fact that Gino pointed to D. Eskridge when he was the guy speaking a couple weeks ago at OTAs. Like, yeah, yeah, D's really improved. It is the fact that Brady Henderson and Mora and those that are out watching practice notice him. And, yeah, I think all of those things point to a very positive sign. I said to you yesterday, if you want to see people kind of come out of the woodwork or a surprise, see who's working with the ones. See who's getting the opportunity to run consistently with Gino. Mm-hmm. And if Gino's the one saying, hey, D, get in here. Let's go. Hey, I want D to get more reps. I, I went and I've been working out with D. He's growing up. He knows the light at the end of the tunnel is there and the competition is real. And li- his livelihood is on the line. Truly. When you take Jackson, Smith, and Jigba in the first round and you got DK and Tyler locked up and you have all that money so tied up. to incentivizing, huh? Let's go. You, you haven't given up the ghost yet on incentivizing. Uh, let's roll. All right. Question number three. As we go through these uh, adjustments, Brock, we get to uh, the center, Olu Olu with Timmy. What will be his big adjustment as he tries to make it in the NFL? Trust. Trust to Gino. Trust to the guards next to him. Trust of the Colin protections. That's a hard one, man. I remember so vividly coming in as, as a rookie into the league, and there was an experienced center in both places I was, in Indianapolis with Jeff Saturday, and we had a veteran uh, old free agent guy that was there in Seattle. I was like, man, when I when I jumped in with them, hey, hey, come on, kid, let's go. Pick it up. Get the pace. Get the tempo. Here's the cadence. And you've got it as a backup QB, man. You've got to mimic the cadence of John Kitna. Like, I'm not waiting around for you. Glover was his last name. And in, in the, those guys, Robbie Tobeck then as well. Like I was only around veteran, smart, capable, terrific centers. And there was a command to them, right? They weren't the most athletic, the most talented. I mean, Jeff Saturday was not a, a great athlete by any means. But man, was he on the details. Mm-hmm. And that is where an Evan Brown's got two, three, four years of experience on Olu. And was brought in, I think, really to be the guy and and let Olu learn a little bit. But if he can command, remember Russell when he was mic'd up in his rookie minicamp and he had that sense of command right away? That's what I'm looking for, for him, right? And I'd be curious if they even mic'd Olu up at camp or they mic'd some of these guys up at camp so they can listen to him. Because that just command, that conversation, that trust, that leadership, it's A1 for the quarterback, it's A2 for the guy that snaps him the ball. All right, that is today's Blue 88. Let me uh, throw a little extra one at you, a little bonus Blue 88, because right. I know you had this on your list of stuff for today. Uh, you know, veterans, you know, most of them sort of know their place heading in, but there's always one or two who end up in a sort of a tricky spot. Anybody who could be on the outside looking in? So I went through their 89-man roster. Yeah, They don't have one. I mean, you, if you want to say Alton Robinson or DJ Dallas, I mean, honestly, it'd be DJ Dallas. <laughs> It's crazy how unbelievably young this team is. DK yeah. is not going anywhere. Tyler's not going anywhere. Bobby's not going anywhere, right? I mean, the, the, those those veterans that you would, you know, kind of put on that list around the league, 31 other teams, you could probably find two, three, four guys like, ooh, making a lot of money. Veteran guy. Right. Like you've had him in the past over over these years. I, I don't I don't see it. No. I, 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 Zero. I, I, I mean, Mario Edwards, if he absolutely tanks, like if he can't play and he's not available and he gets nicked up in camp, they didn't give him much money. So maybe Mario Edwards could be that guy. But again, they signed him for a reason. And Pete really believes like he's <laughs> going to be the linchpin in some ways with his skill set. Go look at the roster. 
I mean, it's fascinating. There is not what there has even been in the past with this team of those veterans on the outside looking in. It's pretty young, and it is pretty locked and loaded. Yeah, I'm, I would agree with you. I can't come up with anybody. I don't think DJ Dallas is in any trouble, especially because of his ability in special teams. I mean, he's he's one of their best special teams players, and they're not going to move on from him because of that would be my guess. So, yeah, that's uh, – they're, they're, honestly, you go team, through man. the positions, you know, the three or four tight ends with Mabry bringing the fourth, you, you know, the four running backs with DJ and McIntosh being the fourth. You, you kind of know the linemen. You just don't have many of those old bodies. Yeah. You know, you, you just don't. This is a this is a young team that's flying and the veterans that I mentioned right there. You know, the the Quandre Diggs and the DKs and the Tylers. I mean, Jamal, right? The people kind of hinted at that. I don't think he's going anywhere. The cap casualty and the numbers wouldn't be beneficial anyway. So they're just there really are not many of those guys around. They're all all accounted for and they're all pretty darn young and hungry as well. Pretty interesting. All right, good stuff there and uh, we'll come back talk a lot more football over the course of the morning. More was out there yesterday. Uh, the one guy who was missing by the way, Anthony Bradford. I don't know. You know, he was there but not out practicing. Yeah, so he was uh, missing and Kobe Bryant's not practicing. Abe Lucas coming off the shoulder. There are some guys heading yeah. into camp in 6 7 weeks. You know, Tariq Woolen as well, obviously. I mean, there, there's going to be there's going to be some watches over six or seven weeks as we get ready for camp. Well, yesterday, Brock, we uh, spoke about sadness and how it's not an emotion that I'm very familiar with. Yesterday, perhaps somewhat ironically, was one of the saddest days in sports I can remember. We'll discuss next. Brock and Salk, Sales Sports on 710.